Hi there, and welcome to All Things Montessori, a podcast devoted to discussing aspects of the Montessori approach to child development. If you're a guide in the classroom, a parent of a Montessori child, or someone who is just trying to learn more about it, we cover it all. My name is Rachel Larson, and I'm a Montessori teacher and an administrator. And I'm joined by Jamie Rue, AMI trainer and Montessori consultant. In this episode, Jamie and I tackle the ever-pressing question about testing. Why don't we do it in elementary? Do we ever do it in Montessori elementary? Why would we do it in Montessori elementary? We sit down and we talk through the standardized test and the history of it, why it became such an important aspect of our education system in the United States. Um, And we really dissect what the test does for children, is it effective? All of those questions that I know all of you have probably asked yourself. So that's what this episode's about. Hope you enjoy. So another one of those frequently asked questions is, what about testing? Why don't you do testing? Is there any point at which you do testing? Um, So let's talk about testing because I know that uh, you've done a lot of research on this. Um, So why don't we do testing in a Montessori environment? Well, I mean, we do. I mean, with some in most Montessori environments, we are going to have some standardized tests these days. And standardized tests used as tools or one sort of metric or measure can be fine. There's another uh, argument that Montessori children are tested more frequently than most because they don't move forward with a concept until they have proven that they have some understanding and mastery of it. So there's constant testing built into sort of every lesson that we offer children because we're we're always going to go back and look and talk with the child and have the child demonstrate understanding of the previous prerequisite concept before we move forward. Right? Every lesson. Remember when this? Tell me what you know about that. And And the child has to verbally tell you or show you that's not easy. That's really hard. You have to have really good recall skills. And I mean, yeah, I've actually, I've been reflecting on that a lot because, you know, in some ways it sounds a little bit demanding. It's not. It's, it's, It's careful. It's caring. It's perfect because you're making sure they're ready to move on, right? But it's a lot to ask somebody to recall that, I think. Right. And so we we ask them to recall it, which is, you know, a real sign of knowledge. And we have like aspects of the next presentation that will incorporate what they already learned or if they need more practice with it. So we have these sort of really organic ways of moving on and helping them. Uh, develop these skills, but that's not standardized. And so what parents are wanting or what they're hearing from broader society is this need for a standardized test. And so a standardized test is a test that has been that every one of a particular age takes that is, you know, all the questions are written in the same way uh, it's administered in the way, same way, and it's scored in the same way. And so that's what makes it standardized. And this could be used for thousands of children or, you know, around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and those standardized tests are are what society seems to want to know about. And, and then, of course, parents and other, you know, you know, school administrators and others. 
I often laugh and think about what it would be like if we continued this idea of standardized testing based on the number of years you've lived on the planet. If we had standardized tests for 27-year-olds and standardized tests for (laughs) 35-year-olds, I mean... You're, you know, you la- you laugh because it's absurd, right? Because knowledge becomes so diverse and so specialized and different that yeah. it would be almost impossible to do that. Yet we somehow think for humans that have been on the planet for under 18 years that this is a solid way to measure the acquisition of knowledge. But that's where we're at. Um, a little history of standardized testing in our country um it's only been uh in the last 54 years or so that standardized testing has been required in our country so it was in 1965 with the elementary and secondary education act where standardized tests uh became a requirement for schools to get federal Title I funding in their classrooms. Wow. And so at the, at the beginning of this, when this happened in 1965, you know, part during the time when the U.S. was very concerned about being smarter than the rest of the world, um, they're in the middle of a Cold War, they, Russia had already gotten... Um, Sputnik into space before the U.S. had those sorts of things that were really driving this need to test achievement. And so um, what what happened was that they required testing for the funding, but they didn't, um, there was in the early implementation of this law, the scores didn't didn't matter really. Like mm-hmm. if they were low, there would be some remediation put into place, but schools and states had some latitude. They didn't, um, they didn't have to follow any prescribed thing for improvement and they wouldn't lose their funding if the improvement didn't happen in a certain time. I see. Yeah. And actually the, and the legislation forbade a national curriculum, but in 2001, so this law was just reaffirmed like every three years. Mm-hmm. But in 2001, um, a new version of it was adopted. And that's the version we know of as No Child Left Behind. Yep, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah. And so there, this, re- this put consequences in place for schools whose um, students don't meet the achievement required by the law. Um, so funding for the schools was tied to continually improving achievement. And if they didn't improve, drastic measures could be taken, like, um, you know, firing all the teachers or closing the entire school down. Mm -hmm. So it, it was really No Child Left Behind in 2001, that adoption of a long existing law that created the sort of high stakes frenzy and concern and stress that drives our education system today. Yeah, you know, I I remember when that was passed because I was a student in school and it directly affected me. And I remember my parents sort of freaking out about it too. Um, 
And I just remember feeling a a heightened sense of, you know, oh, okay, the stakes are higher. I I, I just remember, it's like I'm I'm recalling the stress of that or something. It really sticks out in my mind. Well, I'm sure because it, um, because it, you know, you could, you had to pass some of these things to graduate like we have now that didn't exist before. When you think about like my parents didn't have to take a high stakes standardized test. They might not have even had to ever take a standardized test. Wow. Because they were in school at a time when that was not required. Um, so this this test taking mentality is a recent development, like like just a generation ago, you know, to mm-hmm. a certain extent. Like my and so we sometimes approach it as if it's impossible to change and this is just society. Well, this is just society for the last 50 or so years. It's not society uh, as it has to be. Uh-huh. No, I know. <laughs> I, I was I was just reflecting on that as well. Um, you know, I think it's almost gotten worse, but I think maybe we're going to come to a head and it will get better. I mean, I have to hope that, I suppose. But I, I, I you know, I, I remember taking these tests and, you know, you would not go to the next grade level or you would not graduate, just like you're saying. Um, and, and just on one test that was taken in the spring, I mean, what kind of message is that sending about the whole rest of the time you had in class? You know, and a lot of the time was you know, you would be doing the regular curriculum and then the last month, the teacher or whoever it was would amp up whatever would be on the test. And there was Mm -hmm. so much stress, so much anxiety, I think on both sides, of course, because the teacher wants her students to do well um, because then it's going to directly reflect upon her and the school. But there's, uh, you know, it's such a segmented amount of uh, brain space that you're you're testing right there, right? It's, it's this one test. And, you know, I feel sorry for children. Um, or I don't feel sorry, I actually have a lot of compassion for children who aren't uh, capable test takers, because I am not at all. And so I completely fall into that bracket. Um, and, and, you know, everyone doesn't really thrive on a multiple choice test. Someone will thrive on an essay or on a speech or on a poster or on so many different kinds of avenues to show what you know. Why does it have to be a Scantron sheet, you know, with multiple choice? Choose the best answer, which always messed me up as a kid, but that's my own personal problem. (laughs) Well, and the hard part now is that some of these tests, like the Park test and others, are not just multiple choice anymore. And so there are some essay and showing your work requirements, but they only want it done in one particular way. Oh, wow. And so some, what, what tends to be the response of teachers who are under the stress that these high stakes tests put in place, because in some school districts, teacher salary and review is directly tied to their students' achievements. Mm-hmm. Um, Traditional test preparation is actually not effective. That's what research shows. Yet what tends to happen when teachers are worried is that they 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 look at those old school tr- um, test preparation activities. So like 
you know, the sort of rote practice and memorization isn't effective, mm-hmm. yet that's often what teachers might demand, or they narrow the curriculum like you were talking about. That's the only thing they teach is what's going to be on the test. Yep. That is not proven by research to be effective. Um, that that even just changing classroom practice is... Um, is not if you know if you're changing what you normally do to work for the test that doesn't actually re- result in higher achievement. Um, research shows that actually peer peer tutoring um, supports higher achievement on these standardized tests. Mm. A strong teacher student relationship. Oh, I'm um, sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense. Makes so much sense. When children um, feel a strong sense of personalization in their education experience, that they feel valued as individuals, they actually will perform higher on standardized tests. Um, And all of these things say, okay, so what we do in a Montessori environment is actually helping to prepare them for standardized tests. the challenge is that sometimes the standardized test isn't exactly where the child is developmentally because we base these tests. I mean, they're based on what year a child is in school, whether they're young for their age, old for their age, you know, their age, like their age bracket in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And we, and in a Montessori environment, you know this, some children may work on an academic skill that's not required for them to know for several years, but be sort of not where they need to be in some other area because they're working in an advanced way in something else. Like there's no, it's much harder to say this is exactly what um, what this child should know beyond some of the basic skills. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I completely agree. I mean, I've seen it in my own classroom. I've heard it from other guides about, you know, a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old who's performing well beyond their grade level or age level or whatever you want to call it in 70% of the classroom, but 30%, no. And that actually, I think, is one of my favorite things about the Montessori classroom is that that's totally fine and it's totally normal because... Most human beings are like that. Most human beings are not 100% efficient at every single subject level ever, right? Um, And the Montessori classroom allows for you to, you know, of course, fulfill those, you know, requirements that are, you know, necessary to succeed in the classroom, but you do it when it's appropriate for the child's readiness and their um, whatever skills they may have or may be lacking. Um, And then I think it overall forms a better, they have a better relationship with the subject at hand, you know, because I'm sure you do, I do as well. I was a smart child, but I had a really big problem with some subjects and that affected me for a long time. Um, And I think that just, that can happen really easily in a in a non-Montessori environment because you're forced to go maybe quicker than you wanted, or it could be the reverse. You're forced to go slower than you wanted. So you build up resentment towards the subject, I guess. Absolutely. Is what, I, is what I'm trying Absolutely. to say. Yeah. And that's where like, 
that's the other reason it's hard to do a standardized test that isn't standardized for a Montessori elementary environment. These tests are standardized for more traditional environments where everybody's doing the same thing at the same time. And we don't function that way. So it's understandably challenging to standardize a test that's going to support that. One six-year-old might be able to multiply and divide on paper without any manipulative materials, where another six-year-old might still be using a manipulative material to do addition and subtraction. Yes. And and all of that's perfectly normal and fine in the environment, but it makes it difficult to standardize. Most first grade tests are not going to have long multiplication and long division because that's not offered <laughs> right. in a <laughs> traditional environment until later. And so even some of these adaptive tests that respond, like if a child's struggling with something, they don't give them harder ones and they, you know... Um, those like the map tests here in Maryland, the problem with those adaptive tests is that the test makers make some pretty big presumptions about what is harder. And for example, they think that you learn operations, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. So if a child struggles with subtraction, they might not ever see multiplication and division mm -hmm. because that has been dictated as harder. Therefore, the adaptive test is not going to give it to the child. But actually, in my experience, subtraction is the most non-intuitive operation. And I've had children be quite successful in multiplication while still struggling with subtraction. Oh, yeah. And so that, you, right? I couldn't you know? agree more. So, I've seen that too. I, I think I always bracket subtraction and division together because I yeah. think they're the hardest. And also when you get to long division, subtraction is in the algorithm. So it's like, right, ah! right. Um, I completely agree. Yeah. So if you never see multiplication just because you're struggling with subtraction, I mean, and a child might be really successful. So there's mm -hmm. limits to the test. Yes. The test can give us some helpful data, if especially if there's something surprising. Um, and, so, you know, if a child scores really high or really low in an area where we were not expecting it. Mm -hmm. So it's not that they can't be useful tools, but they can't be thought of as the only measure of where a child is in their achievement and in their abilities. If we, if we reduce them to that, um, then these tests become all important. Yeah. And the thing also I hear from parents sometimes too, is that they have to learn how to take tests because they have to take them as an adult. They have to take a test to get into college. Mm -hmm. The reality is they actually don't mm -hmm. as much anymore. I know it's uh, really changed. Yeah. It's really changed. So of the 10 schools my older daughter applied to, three of them required test scores. And those were state schools and a Canadian university. But the private, some elite colleges that she applied to, none of them required test scores. Wow. And that means they won't use them in the admissions decision. And these are universities like American University. Mm-hmm. Wesleyan University, Smith College, Bryn Mawr, um, these kinds of schools really recognize that those test scores do not are not a strong indicator of the kind of student they want who will be successful at school. Wow. At their school. Um, 
And so that's the other thing parents need to understand is that the, the world of college admissions is changing. Some schools still require state schools usually, although I know admissions counselors in those schools and they use those. I mean, the, the, the weight that the scores carry is so low because, again, it's not a strong indicator of success in the college experience. So, so that's the other thing we have to help parents understand is that, you know, the whole, the world has shifted since we all went to college. Right. It's and a different ball game now. Yeah. It's a different ball game. Mm. And these tests are not necessarily going to be a part of their lives in the same way. Well, and honestly, the SAT has only been required uh, the first school that required it was the University of California in 1960. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I figured it wasn't too old. But um, yeah, it's it's funny. Test scores, They even when I was applying to college, were way more important. I, uh, I got denied from a college uh, based on my SAT score, which was fine. It wasn't like amazing, but it wasn't bad. And the dean called me and said, you know, you had the highest GPA, but we can't let you in because of your test score. Cause it didn't, it was like a hundred, it was like five. I don't remember. It was very close to their minimum, but they couldn't let me in. He said, yep, you were one of our strongest candidates, but we couldn't do that. And I thought, um, okay, <laughs> they, it, they put so much weight on that. And like, I'm thankful because I went, I went to Virginia Tech. I went where I needed to go. It was fine. But I, yeah, I don't know. So I think it's really changed from that. I mean, that is putting way too much weight on a test score, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. My understanding of the admissions process now is that the admissions counselors have a fair amount of latitude and they apply a lot of um, objectivity, but also a lot of subjectivity to the admissions process. It's not simply a numbers game on paper. Mm -hmm. They really try to look at the actual human. And that's the, that's the reality of any sort of a process that involves humans making judgments, even when you're giving grades, grades are, are very subjective. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and, and even test scores, cause it all just depends on that particular moment in a child's experience. So I, um, I understand parents' concerns because it's, it's what we hear from the broader society, but if we can educate parents to have a better understanding of all of this, what what children in a Montessori environment are getting is this, they get their own strong sense of agency for their own learning. They get an understanding of themselves as learners. They get critical thinking skills and ability to work in groups and manage projects and all these other things that are less quantifiable on a, on a standardized test. But from my perspective and perspective of the executives I know in in businesses around the world, um, far more important skills than uh, than a test score. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I I think and I hope that this conversation keeps going and that it keeps shifting because I I look at how much has happened in the past ten five ten years with the shift in test scores. Um, I just, I hope, I hope, I hope it continues in that way and, uh, test. I mean, I I think humanity is just obsessed with judgment in some weird way. Right. So like, I feel like that's where this kind of comes from too, like obsessed with assessment and testing and, you know, I don't know, 
So I, well, and I think there's fear. There's a lot yes. of fear, worry that I'm not good enough. My child won't be good enough. We're not mad at, you know, meeting certain standards of society. Right. Um, and so really trying to step back from that fear and think about what we know about this child, what we know about what's best for us as learners, like, like, to, you know, trying to pull back from the fear is, is a big key in, in moving forward. Absolutely. That. All right. Well, that was illuminating. I got to recall some of my own uh, test-taking horror stories in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at allthingsmontessoripod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at at allthingsmontessori. Jamie and I are dedicated to continuing the conversation, and we hope you tune in next time for more discussion.